Hey, I want to also activate us as a church family this morning to pray uh, for the nation of Ukraine right. and to pray for the people who are under barrage right there. Pray for that, that, um, that ungodly, I believe, uh, situation to come to an end in a righteous and just way. And would you, I want to even ask you, would you activate your faith by standing to your feet and let's pray together as the people of God. And I want to encourage you, people of God, prayer is powerful. It makes a difference. This is not just a religious exercise. And let's believe that it's, there's power in agreement, right? Amen. And so as we're agreeing together with, listen, the body of Christ all around the world. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, it seems that the body of Christ is, is activated to prayer in a way like maybe it hasn't been since, I don't know, maybe since 9-11 and all those circumstances went down. I think because it's just so egregious, it's so obvious how unjust what's, what's happening is. And so I believe that we're joining the voices of many Christians, many believers that have been gathering as Sunday approached and has already come and gone in other parts of the world and is just now happening here and in other parts of the world, that we're joining with many voices who are, are petitioning God to look down and to see what's happening. He sees it, he knows, he sees the injustice. And let's ask him to come and do what seems impossible, but that he would reach down with his hand and protect those people and end that war in Jesus' name. Come on, let's pray it together. I'll pray corporately. Would you activate your faith to pray right now and just lift up those precious people? Father, we pray for the nation of Ukraine. We pray for those precious people, the men and the women and the children, God, who are under attack. We pray that your hand of protection would be about, about, around them and about them, God, that you would cover them, Lord, and keep them, Lord. We pray that you would comfort them, bring them peace, Lord. Those who have already lost loved ones or suffered injury, Lord, we pray that you would comfort them and heal them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. And God, we just thank you that you're a God of justice, you're, you're a God of peace, and so we pray that there would be an expedited end to this conflict in Jesus' mighty name and that you would reach down and you would be a part of seeing it happen, Lord, in a way that transcends what might seemingly be possible in the natural, Lord. We look to you and we trust you. You are our rock and our refuge, and we declare that over the precious people of Ukraine today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Come on, you could be seated this morning. Yeah, you could give the Lord a clap. And I wanna continue beyond today, continue to lift up those people in prayer. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? And we're gonna continue, actually we're gonna land our series that I've titled Life Goals. And every year as we turn the page on a new calendar, I'm always seeking and searching after the heart of God to bring some sort of a series of messages into our lives as believers that will in some way somehow cause us to prioritize God in a fresher new way. Because as we turn the page on the calendar, many people around the world are making resolutions about things they desire to do better. And I've encouraged us that the number one resolution that we can have is more of Jesus in our life. And that maybe there really are some do goals, things that we really can do different or do better, but that ultimately, the better thing to focus on are who goals. Who is God calling me to be and become as a man of God, as a woman of God? And who can I connect to to place my trust in and to gain my strength from? And so do goals are good, who goals are better. And even best is saying I'm in a new way or a fresh way going to focus my priority on loving and serving and worshiping and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Life Goals has been the title of the series and 1 Corinthians 14 is where we pick up Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, and I love it when the Bible does this for me as a preacher, just makes it so easy. You'll see what I mean here in a moment as we read from verse 1, 1 Corinthians 14. Let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. 
but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. So he's talking about spiritual gifts, and we'll read more about that a little bit later, and you'll see that you have a spiritual gift that God's imparted to you for the good of the church and for people in your life. But he's talking about spiritual gifts, and, and he goes on, if you read the chapter, the rest of chapter 14, he talks about, about the, the gift of speaking in tongues and how that personally strengthens us individually as a believer. But he says here, earnestly desire that you would prophesy, which is speaking and releasing the heart of God. And if you read that chapter, chapter 14, he says this is even better because it strengthens the entire church, that people are comforted and strengthened and exhorted and edified when we speak and release the heart of God over people. But he says, let love be your highest goal. In other words, all the things that we can do for God, motivation matters. They're all to be motivated by a sincere love for God and people. So we just read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Now let's turn the page backwards. We're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to turn backwards to 1 Corinthians 13 and read the pretext. And this is the, this is the chapter that's often known as, as the love chapter. And we'll pick it up in verse 1 where it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything that I had to the poor, I sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Listen, motivation matters. Verse four, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Just listen to some of these things, the way that God describes his kind of love. And, and, and maybe just be willing to be honest with yourself, do a little bit of a self-evaluation about how you're doing in, in, in operating this. How, how you're, how, how's your love life? And just allow the Lord to just maybe highlight some of the areas or the ways that maybe you once did well in, but maybe you've drifted from it, or, or, or maybe you could just in kind of a new way just dedicate and commit yourself to live this out, God's kind of love, patient and kind, not jealous, not boastful, not proud, not rude, does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, oh, come on, that steps on my toes sometimes. It keeps no record of being wronged. It's, it's quick to forgive. God's kind of love. It does not rejoice about injustices, but it rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. Verse 13, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Say the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. All the things that you could do for God, all the things that you could maybe do that would impress people in the church and in the community, in your workplace. He says, make sure that as you're doing those things, good things. He said, make sure that love is your motivation. Make sure that love is your highest goal. Listen, the Bible has a lot to say about this, and I don't think we preach enough about it. John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Come on, isn't that what we're called to be? Not church attenders, 
Not even just believers in God. We're called to be followers of Christ. And he says, there's a way that people will know that you're my disciple. What is it? If you love one another. First Peter 4a emphasizes the same thing. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Come on, who's grateful for that promise from God's word? Jesus said it was the greatest commandment. They came to him, Matthew chapter 22, and they said in verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Other parallel translations of the same account also add your strength, all your strength. And it says, this is the first and greatest commandment, red letter words from the heart of Jesus. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then watch, Jesus really hangs one on him here. He says, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And otherwise, he, in other words, he's saying the entire Bible could be summed up in these statements. Love God and love people with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. In other words, with everything you have and in every way you can. Let love be your highest goal. Sometimes to fully understand something because there's a lot of definitions about what love is and what love isn't. But sometimes to really understand what something is, we do have to rule out what it isn't. And here's what I wanna just tell you this morning is that love is not turning a blind eye to sin. Love is not, because we're, we're called to love the world. We're called to love the people of the world. We're, we're called to love them in the way that, that Christ loved us. We, you know, it was, the, it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance right? It's the same thing that's going to lead other people who are currently just like we once were, just far from God. And why would we expect them to live any differently than to live in sin and to live in darkness? Here's the thing. Love is not turning a blind eye to sin. And, and listen, aren't you glad that God loved you just where you were? He didn't wait for you to get yourself right before you were, could come to a relationship with him, he entered into your very circumstances in the midst of your darkness, your pride, your sin, your rebellion, your missteps or your mistakes. That's the very place that he came in and he began to show you, hey, I love you and I sent my son to die for you to make a way that you could be healed of your past, to make a way that all the things that the world has tried to use, the guilt and the sin and the shame and the condemnation that weighs you down and tries to hinder you and hold you from moving forward and running the life and the race of faith that I've prepared and equipped and, and called and created you to begin to run? Aren't you glad that God came into that very place? You didn't have to get yourself good before you got God. He loved you more than he ever. He loved you as much in that very moment when you were as lost as a goose, when you were in your darkest moment. He loved you as much then as he does now. Our responsibility, listen, our responsibility is not to change people. Our responsibility is to love people. But we're not loving people if we're not telling them about a God that will rescue them from their life of sin. And we gotta do what I've encouraged us that we're gonna have to be prepared to do even more and more and more and more as our culture continues to turn its back on God and turn its back on the Bible and turn its back on biblical morality is we're gonna have to find a way to do what Ephesians 4 encourages us to do and that is speak the truth in love. We're gonna have to be moved with compassion but we're also gonna have to be courageous and operating in conviction. 
moved with compassion that just understands, man, people are just lost and hurting. They don't have a relationship with God. They haven't experienced the forgiveness of a Savior. They don't have brothers and sisters in Christ around them. They don't know what they don't know. We've got to be moved with compassion, but then we have to be courageous to tell them about Jesus because we have a conviction that he is the way and the truth and the life and what their life looks like today. It can look completely different if they'll just turn to him and put their trust in him and give their heart to him. Somebody ought to say amen. In the culture we live in, it's gonna be increasingly important for the church to learn how to love without compromising truth. Ephesians 4, I already paraphrased it, but I'll just read it directly for you. It says in verse 11, it says, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And watch what it says. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. We got to get back to this. We got to quit just causing or allowing for just a few people to do ministry. It says right here that God has given these gifts to the church to equip the body of Christ, you and me, every one of us, to do the work of God, to, to equip God's people to build up the church and to further and to build and advance the body of Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And reading on verse 13, it says, this will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's the invitation. He wants to make you more like Christ. He, he, he didn't come to correct bad behavior. He came to rescue sons and daughters and he came to, to set an example and he came to say, come and follow me and, and begin to allow me to, to recreate your heart and, and turn hard places into soft places and, and to, to begin to transform the way you think and to begin to allow you to live a different and new and better life. And it says, reading on verse 14, then we won't be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever. They actually even might sound like the truth. It says, instead, verse 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more and more and more like Christ. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that God loved me where I was but I'm also grateful that he loved me too much to leave me there. And I'm grateful that he's continuing to refine me and he's continuing to, to lead me out of some things and into everything that he has for me, the standard and the measure of who Christ is. That's what he's inviting us to. Love doesn't reject people who are dealing with sin, but it is not love to avoid telling them about the truth of a savior who can set them free and give them an entirely new and better life. The world needs God's kind of love. The early church did not grow because of its programs, because of its contemporary worship music, because of worship pastors or preachers with skinny jeans, because of lighting effects or smoke machines, because of coffee baristas and coffee bars, let me just tell you, in and of themselves, all those things are perfectly acceptable and actually enjoyable as we look to do community and do family and do life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But the early church did not have access to any of those things. The early church, though, grew exponentially and rapidly. One day in Acts, 3,500 people came and joined the family of God because they saw the radical love of God in operation amongst the brothers and sisters who had heard this message about Jesus and seen people living it out, following the way, and they began to say, what is going on? This is different. This is unique. 
This is not love the way the world has expressed love. There's something special. There's something, there's something powerful. There's something that I'm longing for that I've tried to fill in my heart with this thing or that person or that, or that, that status or, or whatever it is, all the different things that they were trying to fill their hearts with. If you think it wasn't the same back then as it is today, you're mistaken. It was the same then. There's nothing new under the sun. And they started to see this love begin to be operated before there were even church buildings and haze machines and video cameras and everything else. All those things are great ways that we are further in advancing the gospel. But all they had was the message of the gospel, which is this, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The greatest need in the world today is not a program or a politician. It's a move of God's unwavering, unconditional, unrelenting love for man expressed by the very church that was reached and established by that very love. God's kind of love. And you know, in the English language, there's some places in the Bible that the English language really doesn't do the greatest job at kind of fully expressing what God originally intended to be expressed to us through the Bible. A couple weeks ago, we touched on one of those. Remember in the Beatitudes, it said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we dug into that word a little bit because I think we have a misconception about what it looks like for the men and women of God to be meek in the earth today. And we dug into that word and the original Greek word for that word meek is praus, which is an equestrian term and it has to do, it speaks of war horses. In other words, wild horses who are powerful, who, are, who have become tamed so that they can become utilized for a purpose. And we talked about how that's God's idea of what it looks like to be meek. Power and anointing and authority, those are the things that God has made possible and available to you and to I, not just your preacher or your elders or your Sunday school teachers, every man and woman and young adult who will believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the life that he's called you to and invited you to. And he says, you're going to walk in all these things. But he says, to be meek in my eyes is power under control, surrendered and submitted to the purposes of your master. And here's another way that the English language doesn't do an effective job at communicating exactly what the Bible's trying to say, and it has to do with this word love. Because in the English language, we have one word for love, but in the Greek New Testament, there were four words that were used for love. There's the word phileo, which is the root word that the city of Philadelphia is named after, and anyone know what the nickname for the city of Philadelphia is? The city of brotherly love. And so the Greek word phileo implies just that, brotherly love, sisterly love. It's the kind of love that I have for you and you should have for me. There's a purity and an authenticity about it. There's a love that God intends us to have because of our brotherhood or our sisterhood in Christ. That's phileo kind of love. There's storge kind of love, which is a familial type of love. In other words, it's the love that you have for your family and even your extended family simply because they're family. It's the reason that you love that crazy aunt or uncle that you see once or twice a year at the holiday gatherings, even though they've never done anything for you and even though they say the craziest things or whatever, there's still kind of a love that you have for that person because that's storge kind of love. Then there's this word called eros. And it's a romantic or sensual type of love. It's the type of love that you're only intended to have for your current spouse or your future spouse. It's the kind of love that I've chosen and I've determined and every day I'm, I'm dedicated to in my best way living out my, the way that I live is only directing the eros love that God has given me to give and to receive to my wife. 
There's, 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 there's phileo love, there's storge love, there's eros love, which is sensual or romantic. In fact, if you're here and you're sitting next to your spouse, don't do it if you're not sitting next to your spouse. Come on. Just, just turn to him and just say, I, I, I eros you, baby. Come on, do it. Come on. Oh, some of you need to get a room, man. That was a little bit too much right there. But in the English language, we just have one word, I love. And maybe it complicates things because I love my wife, but I also love the Kansas Jayhawks. I, I love my wife, but I also love the Dallas Cowboys. Come on, where, where are my people at right there? Let me see you. I love my church, but I also love tacos. But in God's economy, there's not all love is created the same. There's phileo, there's eros, there's storge, and there's this other kind of love called agape love. And it's this radical, unconditional love that loves even the most unlovable. Not only loves, but pursues and chases after you and I, even when we're seemingly unlovable and unredeemable. It's the agape love of God that changed your heart and changed mine. It's the agape love of God that caused the early church to be growing exponentially. It's the agape kind of love that's going to radically transform Lawrence and the surrounding areas. It's the agape kind of love that's going to cause people to come alive in God. The greatest need in the world today is not another church program. It's the agape love of God. This kind of unwavering, unconditional, unrelenting love for man being expressed by the church that was established by that very love. So how do we live this out? If our highest goal is love, how do we live this out? And I think there's a clue from John chapter 21. And this is where Jesus has appeared to his disciples, and you remember the story. He's cooked them breakfast, and they've had breakfast on the beach. Sounds like a good day, way to start your day. And, and, then, and then Jesus starts to encounter Simon Peter. And pick it up, verse 18. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. And he says, then feed my lambs. And Jesus repeated the question, verse 16. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus replied, then take care of my sheep. A third time, verse 17, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says that Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Listen, this is where it gets really good. Remember, there's different words for love. And in the original text, Jesus is asking Peter this question. He said, Peter, do you agape me? And if you go back and you study the original language, Peter said, yes, Lord, you, you know I phileo you. Peter, no, Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me in this radical, unrelenting, unconditional kind of way that chases people down? Did that's the kind of love, Peter, that I came and, and I expressed to you? He said, Do you are you willing? Are you prepared to agape me? And I don't know why, Peter, I don't know what was stirring in his heart. Maybe he was just concerned that he wasn't quite ready to fully go all in and respond and say, Yes, Lord, I'll agape you. He said, Yes, Lord, I phileo you. 
And what you realize when you read a little bit deeper into the story is that Jesus was trying to draw Peter out from this casual place of, of believing in God and this casual place of kind of like, like I, I, I love God in a brotherly kind of way. I, 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 love, I love the Jayhawks and I love Jesus. And he was saying, no, you can love the Jayhawks, you can love tacos, you can love the Dallas Cowboys, you can love the Kansas City Chiefs, but there's a different kind of love that you're going to have to have in your heart, this agape kind of love. It's the love I've expressed to you. I'm not asking you to do anything that I wasn't willing to model and do for you myself. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I follow you. And today, maybe he's asking you, are you prepared to, to, to love God in a new way, in a fresh way, in a deeper way. Again, the number one resolution you can make, and I know that ship is sailing, we're six or seven weeks into the year, a couple months into the year now, but the number one thing, it's never too late to make the right resolution, more of Jesus in my life, more of Jesus in my heart, more of Jesus in my home, more of Jesus in my workplace, more of Jesus. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, we want to agape you. And, and, and we want to love one another in the same way. Jesus is not looking for, for fans. He's looking for followers. And he's trying to draw you from the place where you are right now. Maybe you love God, you believe in God, but he's saying there's a deeper place of intimacy. There's a deeper place of love. There's a deeper place of fellowship and friendship that I'm drawing you to and I'm inviting you to. And it's not because I'm trying to get something out of you. It's because I'm trying to get something into you. I'm trying to help you to begin to stand strong. And I'm trying to help you to begin to move forward. And I'm trying to help you to be and become the man of God or the woman of God that I have in my heart for you to be. Jesus here also establishes the way that we can live this out. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, yes, 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 Lord. You know, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs, take care of my people. He says, you can love me and the way you're gonna love me and the way that the world is gonna know that you love me is because you love and serve others. Let love be your highest goal. How do we live this out? We feed his lambs, tend his lambs, take care of his people. We serve. We gotta see this differently because the world has this idea that servanthood is kind of beneath us and the culture that we live in is a selfie culture. It's a selfish, me-centered, me-first, my agenda, what I need, what I want kind of a culture and the answer for it was found at the cross of Jesus Christ when Jesus came and laid down all of the royalty and the riches of heaven and came into the most humble of circumstances and laid down his life even to the point of death. So a couple times a year, we have the, what you saw in the news and what you maybe saw in the lobby. We have Serve Team Sunday. And listen, there are a hundred ways to serve God. But this is just one that we encourage you to discover the joy of and discover the, the impact of is coming into the house of God with other brothers and sisters in God and beginning to link arms with one another and beginning to give our lives away, beginning to serve God in a way that helps other people to come and to receive and to hear and to know and to believe that there's a God that loves them right where they are, but he loves them too much to leave them where they are. They can respond to the gospel and give their lives to Christ. We got to see this differently. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. And God's actually trying to not get something out of you. He's trying to impart something to you. In Matthew 23, Jesus said this, the greatest, say the greatest, among you must be a servant. The greatest, really, God? God doesn't despise greatness. He's inviting you to a life of greatness. There's a lot of ways that Jesus could have said that he could have said the most religious, 
He said the greatest. He said, I need my men and my women. I need young people to be great people. I need them to be influencers. I need them to be, to be culture shapers. And I need them to be influencers. He said, I want you to be great. God doesn't despise greatness, but he did come to redefine it. And he said, in the world, they're going to lord it over people, and they're going to live one way, and they're going to expect that when you, uh, 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 when you uh, ascribe to a level of leadership or some kind of a position, that it becomes about me, myself, and I. But he said, not so with you. In my kingdom, the greatest among you will serve. And it's why we're unapologetic. It's why we're unapologetic about asking you to become a servant. You know, as I've watched things unfold in Europe and Ukraine, I've been inspired by the Ukrainian president, Zelensky. Anyone else been inspired by the way he's leading and by the way he's serving? And here's the thing, he wouldn't have to do it. He wouldn't have to do it. He's the president. I'm sure he could be hunkered down in a bunker somewhere. The United States of America even offered. We, 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 we rode over. We said, we'll come and we'll get you and we'll, we'll extract you out of there and get you in a safe place. And he said, I don't need a ride. He said, I need weapons because the battle is on my doorstep. And he said, I'm going to stand with my brothers and my sisters in arms and we're going to protect and defend our homeland. And he wouldn't have to do it. And I was just inspired. And I was preparing this message. I've been preparing this message for a couple weeks. Serving Sunday has been on the calendar for several months. And I was watching it unfold. And I thought, you know what? There's something there. There's something there. Because I see, he, I, he, maybe there's been people who have appreciated or respected him as a leader. But all around the world, what I see happening is that as he serves and he gets into the trenches and he gets into the bunkers and he's willing to take off his presidential suit and tie and he's willing to put on an army helmet and pick up a rifle and put on a vest and he's willing to go and he's willing to fight with the people who are soldiers and they're commoners and he's willing to get in there and be a part of that. I looked at it and I saw, man, the esteem that the world has for that man is elevating every day. Not because he stands behind a lectern and tells people what, the, what they should do or the government expects of them. The greatness that he's experiencing is because he's been willing to say, I'll go low and I'll be a servant. If I'm willing to ask you to do it, I'll do it myself. God doesn't despise greatness. He resists pride and selfishness and he invites us to greatness through servanthood. So I wanna encourage you with some things. When we begin to see this differently, we gotta see it differently. The world sees servanthood as one thing, but God sees it totally differently. He says, you want to be great, you start to serve. In your church, in your marriage, in your home, in your workplace, in your company, whatever it is, you start to adopt this mindset and this attitude of a servant and just watch what I can do through you. So when we begin to see this differently, when we embrace the call to serve, it, it begins to shift some things in our mind. It shifts us from a volunteer to a servant. And, and, and we're, look, we, there's a lot of things that it requires for us to, to do church together, for people to, to show up early and unlock the building and open the doors and make the coffee and welcome the babies and greet the people and run the cameras and run the computers and do all the things that we tend to kind of start to take for granted. And man, we have an amazing servant-hearted church, so many precious people that show up early. This worship team that shows, that learns all the songs behind the scenes in their own personal time. And then shows up early, shows up on Thursday and gives several hours to prep and prepare and revisit and rehearse and, and, and develop the ability to come and be able to show up and lead us with excellence. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you thankful for that? We've got an amazing atmosphere of servanthood in our church. Someone ought to give thanks to God and give praise to where it's due. Just recently, our own little four-year-old son brought a little note home from one of the precious teachers that, that serves faithfully back there in that kid's ministry. 
And, and, and every week she, she writes a note she, she, that, that she sends home with these kids that just kind of tells the parents how thankful she is to have the opportunity to partner with the parents to encourage and instruct their little kids to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And she always adds a few little notes of just kind of encouragement and affirmation, just kind of calling out the uniqueness or the qualities that she sees in those kids. Come on, that makes a difference. You can make a difference. There's all kinds of ways to serve. You could serve every week, you could serve once every six weeks, but let me just encourage you, just find a place to serve. The church would do better to stop recruiting volunteers and begin to develop and disciple people to be servants. If we would just focus on developing and encouraging and saying, listen, if you're gonna follow Christ, there's no way around it. You're gonna have to understand that Christ has called you to be a servant to others. We would have all the volunteers that we need. We haven't done anyone any favors by watering down the call to serve and give our lives away. If you're a believer in Christ, I'm just telling you, young adults, if you're a believer in Christ, you're called to, to serve and give your life away. If you're a Christ follower, it's inevitable and it's in, it's, it's, it, you, it's, you can't get around it. You are called to be a servant of others. And we haven't done anyone any favors. It's weakened the church and it's kept people from obeying the greatest commandment. And think about how Christian marriages would be different if we did a better job at helping men to understand, man, you called and all the things God's called you to be in your masculinity as a man of God, you're called to be a servant of your spouse and your kids and your workplace and your church. Just think about how things would be differently. It would be different if we did a better job at encouraging and inspiring and calling people and challenging people and modeling to people and coming alongside people and say, we are going to serve together. Our young people there's a spirit of entitlement that's sweeping across your generation. I want to encourage you to resist it. I want, you, I want to encourage you to resist it. I want to encourage you to embrace the call and the opportunity and the invitation of God to roll up your sleeves and work hard and be determined and keep persevering and, and not expect a handout, but understand that anything that's worth doing is worth working hard at and just trust that God is the one that can provide for you and promote you and advance you and position you and prosper you and, and, and all the things that you have in your heart. I wanna encourage you that, that you're gonna have to serve. You're gonna have to work. You're gonna have to, have to do some things. And I, I, I wanna encourage us as a church that we're not doing our young people any favors by not calling and challenging them to right now. The future is now. And I love that a few weeks ago we had our Next Gen Sunday and, and, and all the, the roles of responsibility and all the places that we ask people to serve. Many or most of them were filled by youth servants because we are challenging a generation to understand and embrace. If your generation is gonna follow Christ, you're gonna have to understand what it looks like to serve. Churches that fail to emphasize servanthood will fail to make true disciples because you can't follow Christ if you're not serving. And this goes way beyond the church. I mean, this is just the starting point to come and to serve on, part, on that team that shows up early and, and prays over our services or the team that shows up early and they pray as well, but then they are positioned in places around holding the, most times they're just holding the doors open for people, but there's also some plans and preparations that they put in place in our gatekeepers team to just help ensure a safe environment here so that people can receive what God wants to do in their life. 
or maybe to come and be a part of our media team or our production team that is helping all the people literally all around the world who are tuning in right now, hearing the word of God being preached and being able to join in in the presence of God through worship because people are willing to come early and run the cameras and run the software or to show up early and make the coffee and to hold the doors open and to greet people with a smile. I'm telling you, it makes a difference because people are walking through those doors and they're carrying the burdens of life and they're carrying doubts and questions is who is God and does he really love me and I'm just telling you the moment we'll have here in a few moments where we give those people an opportunity to give their life to Christ and receive and open their heart to the love of a father who loves them just the where, just where they are but loves them too much to leave them where they are I'm telling you that their heart is soft and when they meet you at the door and you welcome them with a warm smile it's preparing and softening their heart for what God's about to do in their life I'm just telling you, we're better together. It shifts us from volunteer to servant. It shifts us from consumer to contributor. And Mark 10 says this in verse 45, even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If there was anyone that could have expected to show up and be served, wouldn't you think it would be Jesus? But he said, I'm not gonna ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. He said, even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to give his life away and to serve. And when we embrace this call, this mandate, this mission to become servant-hearted again in the church, in our homes, in our workplaces, it shifts us from consumer to contributor. In other words, it shifts us from what can they do for me to what can I do for them. And, in, and even in the church, this is the age of Google reviews for church, you know, and I think it's probably here to stay. I think it's a little bit unfortunate. Maybe there's some good things you could kind of use to find maybe the church that's right for you. But there's Google reviews for churches now, you know, and, they, and, and, and people come and visit churches and they go on there and they comment about the music was good, but the preaching was bad and the pastor dresses funny. And literally, the, we've had reviews where people have gone on and said, preaching was pretty good, music was pretty good, but the donuts really weren't very good at all. You know, it's like, really, is that what we're, is that the standard, what we're looking for, you know, in a church? And listen, we got to shift that. Listen, we got to shift that. We haven't done anyone any favors causing people to think that church is about what can we do for you. Listen, if you're new to the church or, eat, or you're hurting or you're, you, you have a need or, or whatever, we wanna come alongside you in everything that we have to offer. This service, this sermon, our people, our resources, our finances, I mean, I'm telling you, anything that we have to offer, if we can help you with it, we'll help you with it. But then ultimately, our job is, is to help you to become a disciple and a Christ follower, and at some point, that's gonna call you to take up and stand up and say, now how can I, in light of what God has done for me and done in me, now how can I be used of God so that someone else can come to know God? We haven't done anyone any favors. We haven't done marriages any favors. We haven't done our churches any favors by not emphasizing the call to serve others shifts us from consumer to contributor. It shifts us from task to team. And, and just look what 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 5 says. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. Different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Did you catch that to each of us? There's not one of you that God hasn't imparted a spiritual gift to I'm telling you, there's something that God's put in you. There's a grace, there's a gift, there's a testimony, there's a passion, there's, there's something that God has put in you. And, and, and you, you, one part of our responsibility is helping you again. God gave the church apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and evangelists to equip the people of God to do the work of God. 
And one of my number one passions is helping you discover there's a call in your life. There's a purpose for your life. There's a plan for your life. There's a way that God intends to use you to advance and further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't fall into the trap of just being a casual believer or an occasional church attender. Embrace the call that God has called you to make a difference for the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? So that we can help each other. Do you know the kingdom of God's a team sport? We're better together. It doesn't matter how good I preach or how good they sing. If there aren't people ready to come and do the other things that prepare the atmosphere and prepare the way for people to be here, we're better together. The kingdom of God is a team sport. And we need you on the team. Whatever God has called you to, whatever position he's empowered you or invited you to play, just get in the game and play that position. Maybe God's preparing you for a different position. Maybe there's something else in your heart. But the pathway to the new and the next and the more of God is always faithfulness with the now of God. What has he prepared you to do? What's he called you to do? Would you just find the place where you could begin to do it in a way that honors God and blesses people? Kingdom of God is a team sport. You know, um, I mentioned earlier, I was just having fun with you. I mentioned I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. That's been a long-suffering road right there, you know. So I've been grateful to also, when we moved to Kansas, to also become a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Come on, where are my Kansas City Chiefs people at now? I, I, uh, I watch the Dallas Cowboys and I cry and then I turn and watch the Kansas City Chiefs and I get to cheer and rejoice a little bit. But you remember, we, we, we made a Super Bowl a couple years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs that is, like you didn't know, that's who I wasn't talking about. You know I wasn't talking about the Cowboys. We made a Super Bowl a couple years ago and remember it didn't go so well for us. And people that know a thing or two about football understood something about that game that maybe the common football fan wouldn't have understood. And that is that we really, I mean, there's, it's hard to pinpoint a loss on any one thing, but, but I mean, follow me on this and it'll resonate with you. Many people who really knew a lot about football knew that the reason we lost that game is because our, two of our offensive linemen were out of that game, missing because of injury. And you remember that game, it didn't go so well because Patrick Mahomes, as great and spectacular and athletic as he is, he couldn't do what Patrick Mahomes is gifted and called and spectacular at doing because it was running like a chicken with his head cut off all game because two offensive linemen that most football fans don't even or will never know their names weren't on the field. We know Patrick Mahomes, we know Travis Kelsey, we know Tyreek Hill. But, but very few football fans will know the names of the two guys who were missing from that starting lineup that caused that game to not go so well for us. And I'm just telling you, what you are called and graced and gifted to do might happen behind the scenes and in the trenches, but it matters to God. And we might not be able to advance the ball down the field in a way that furthers the gospel of Jesus Christ if you aren't in the position that God has called you and created you to fill. Right. It's true. Right. We need you on the team. It's the one spirit who distributes all these gifts, revisiting 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. We're better together. Come on, look at someone next to you and just tell them we're better together. We're better together. We're better together. It shifts us from task to team, it shifts us from our hands to our heart. In other words, it's not just something we do, it becomes who we are. That, that I, I, we're not just trying to get you to do something, we're, we're, we're trying to raise up people who understand and embrace, I am called to be a servant. 
Something powerful happens in your life when servanthood becomes and moves beyond something you do to who you are. Philippians 2 verse 5 says this, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Man, this is powerful. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. It, it was who he was. He said, I, 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 I'm, that's who I am. I'm going to go and I'm going to love my people. I'm going to serve my people. I'm going to help my people. I, I'm going to save and I'm going to rescue my people because it's who I am. It moves us from hands to heart. Lastly, it moves us from position to disposition. Another way you could say it is from position to posture. The world sees servanthood as relegated to certain positions. People that mop the floors, people that collect the dishes, people that wash the dishes. And in fact, there's this whole concept of service industry. We say, do you, they work in the service industry. And here's what I wanna encourage you with is that whether you're washing the dishes or you own the restaurant, there's every industry in God's eyes and according to God's economy, every industry ought to be a service industry. Because it's not about position, it's about a disposition, it's about an attitude, it's about a posture. Serving is not tied to, to where you fall on the org chart of the organization. You can be, the, be a janitor with a stinky, terrible attitude, you could be the president and CEO, the chairman of the board, and you can live with the posture of a servant towards those that you lead and serve. And the apostle Paul got this in Romans 1 verse 1. He's writing and he's introducing himself and he says, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This was a man of influence. The apostle Paul had gone from persecuting Christians even to the point of death. And he'd surrendered his life to the call of Christ and he's become this apostle of the faith. He doesn't know it at the time. He's writing, two -third, or he's writing 30% of the, of the New Testament and he's just writing letters to the sons and the daughters and the churches and the people who he's traveled to meet and tell about Jesus and plant and establish these churches. But he's writing this letter and he says, Paul, a servant, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul recognized that he had been given influence by God, but he understood as he was introducing himself to the church that before he was recognized in his gift set and his calling, he understood that he was first to be a servant. Paul, a servant of Christ. Yes, I'm an apostle of God, and I'm set apart for the gospel, but I'm a servant. First and foremost, I'm a servant. Let me ask you a question and ask myself this question. When people meet you, do they meet the servant version of you? So Paul was saying, I, I'm an apostle, but I'm a servant. And, and I'm just telling you, you can insert anything that God's ever called you to do. You can insert your title into that statement. I, I, I'm so-and-so, I'm, I'm, I'm a servant of God. Whatever it is God's called you to do. That's the thing that Paul understood led the way and the opportunity for him to have influence. Whatever you were called to do in your work, in your family, in your marriage, come on, hear me, husbands and wives, 
Just watch what God can do in your marriage. It might take a while. It might take a minute. It might not happen overnight. But if you just rededicate and repurpose yourself to once again, maybe you once did it, but you've kind of drifted or gotten casual about it or gotten complacent in your relationship, if you're once again in a new way, in a fresh way, say, I understand that my life is not my own. I understand that my husband or my wife is a gift from God. And I understand that God has called me to serve. And just begin to go. I'm telling you, the best marriages in the world are two Christians who are determined fiercely to outserve one another. Independent of what you get from them, you just say, you know what? I'm just going to go low and I'm going to just serve him or her. And just watch what begins to happen in the atmosphere over your home, in the atmosphere over your intimacy, in the atmosphere over your relationship when you understand that God has called you to be a servant. Anything God's ever called you to do in your life, the pathway to greatness according to Jesus is to serve. Would you stand to your feet? And let's prepare to respond to God. Right now, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, would you just ask the Lord, just say this, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Just say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Lord, what, what, are, you, what are you inviting me to? What are you reminding me of? What are you doing in, in, in my life? In what place are you calling me to once again, in a new way, in a fresh way, commit myself to serve others in my life? Lord, in, in, in marriages and families, I just thank you, Lord, for just that, that recommitment, that rededication, God. To, to have the same attitude, the same mindset, the same posture that Christ Jesus had. That's what the Bible calls us to do in our relationships. Have the same attitude, the same mindset, the same posture that Jesus had, which was to serve. Oh, Lord, in workplaces, and careers, God, I, I, regardless of whether someone's early on in their career or they're, or they're, the, they're the top of the, the food chain of the organization, Lord, I pray, God, that, that today you would just remind and affirm, Lord, and just cause us to rededicate ourselves to, to serve others, Lord, and to trust that you are the one that can promote and you're the one, Lord, that can favor. You're the one that can advance. You're the one that can open doors, Lord, like no one else can. Father, in, our, in this church, Lord, and in our community, God, I pray that you would, just in a fresh or a new way, Lord, and, and in some ways, maybe, Lord, in, in, a, in a way that causes people to step back into a place of, of connecting with other believers and brothers and sisters in Christ and serving in the house of God so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be heard and known in advance, God. I just pray over people who maybe have tried that or been there or done that before. Maybe it didn't go so well. Maybe there was a hurt or a pain or a wound or a rejection. And I pray, God, that in this moment, Lord, that you would heal people's hearts, Lord, whatever it is that caused them or is currently causing them to shrink back or hold back or feel insignificant, unwanted, unworthy, or inferior. God, I pray today that you would deal and heal, Lord, with those things, God, that you would cause people to see themselves as you see them, Lord, that they are needed, that they are wanted, that they are desired, that they are gifted, that there's a place, that there's a moment, there's a purpose, there's a calling that you have for them, yes, in the body of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that that would just usher in just a fresh season, Lord, of experiencing what you told us we would experience when we give our lives away, that that's when we really begin to discover what life is all about. And so I just pray that and declare it over, over these precious people today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just one more moment. Just receive whatever the Lord's doing in your heart. Just receive it. Don't let the moment pass by so quickly. Just receive it. Where's God calling you? 
to once again, in a new way, a fresh way, live towards others with the, with the attitude and the heart of Jesus in a way that serves them, in a way that it doesn't expect or, or, or look for what you can get from them or out of them, but begins to look, how can I be a blessing to them, God? And just watch what it does in your relationships, your friendships, your coworkers. Just watch what it does. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I want to also now just thank you for the fact that you're not doing anything that you are willing to do yourself. You left heaven and all the security and all the comfort and all the riches and all the royalty and you left heaven. You came. You came to this earth and all the, in the midst of the wars and the darkness and the pride and the sin and the rebellion. You came to this very place and you found us right where we were in the midst of all those things, all the guilt, sin, shame, condemnation. You came into that place, into that moment. Lord, and that's where you found us. Lord, you, you, you personified what it looks like to be a, a humble servant. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're not asking us to do anything that you weren't willing to do yourself. And now as a good time, as good a time as any for me to shift and give you the opportunity, you're here in this room or you're joining us online and you are far from God. You're far from God. And maybe you once knew God and loved God, maybe grew up in the church, but life has happened or bad decisions were made or you've just drifted, gotten busy. And today you look up and you're far from him. You've drifted from him. And that's what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter. And today, if that's you, I'm telling you, there's a heavenly father who's not looking for you to have to get yourself all cleaned up and straightened up and get your life right before you can come to God. He's just saying, right now, right now, he says, I know how it was gonna go for you when you went and tried to do it in your own way, in your own strength, independent of me. He said, I knew how it was gonna go for you. I knew you'd come to this place where you realized how desperately you really need God in your life. And he said, I'm just inviting you with open arms, run into my arms. He's calling you, he's knocking on the door of your heart. This is your moment to say yes to a good heavenly father who wants to welcome you home to a relationship that transcends religion. It's about the heart of a good father welcoming you, his son, you, his daughter, back into his loving arms. Then he'll help you begin to, to kind of get some things figured out or straightened out in your life. But right now he says, I love you just right where you are. Would you come home to me? Maybe that's you or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never received the, what the Bible describes as the free gift of salvation. You can't earn it and you never can deserve it when you need, when you deserve God the least is when you need him the most. And right now, if that's you, either one of those camps or anywhere in between, right now is your moment to get to, to receive Jesus and to experience what it feels like. The Bible says that all the old things pass away. You become a new creation in Christ. Come on, that's a good promise. And right now, here's what we want you to do. We're not gonna put you on the spot, have you come forward or anything. All we want you to do is just lift your hand high towards heaven and say, that's me, I need God in my life. That's me, I need a savior. That's me, I need a fresh start. I need, a, I need forgiveness in my life. In this room and online, I think it would be powerfully important for you to just take a moment and say, that's me, Pastor T, I, I need a fresh relationship with God today. And if you raised your hand, many precious people raise their hands, you can lower, lower them today. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray this prayer with you. And we, we, we do it for a couple of reasons. One is we wanna quickly come alongside you and just show you there's a, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who wanna come alongside you and, and, and begin to help you to move forward in your fresh faith in Christ. And two, we pray it together every week because it reminds us that even as God is growing us and maturing us in our faith as Christ followers, we never graduate from grace. Everything God is ever gonna do in our life is all built on an unmerited foundation of grace. So come on, let's pray this. Many precious people gave their hearts to, to Christ today. Let's pray it together. Pray it with passion. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus 
to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say, I will never be the same. And come on, put your hands together with all of heaven for the precious people who came to Christ today. Hey, let's worship God together one more time together and then we'll come with this mission. Get you about your day.